Heavenly Father, I want you to do that with us today, that you would create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within all of us. Help us to seek your face in everything that we do in our lives. Let there not be any decisions that, that come up in our lives where we, we don't consult you first. Help, help us to always realize that we would seek your will in any and everything that we have in front of us. And as, uh, as we do, as things happen and we see your uh, grace abound, help us to give, us, give you the recognition that you, you rightly deserve. Help us to give you the, the praise and the glory because you deserve it. Because everything that we have is a gift from you. Help us to recognize that, to shout it from the mountaintops that we would go and share our testimonies with, with others so that they too might be able to have hope and encouragement and strength in the things that they do and encounter in their own lives. Father, uh, help us here today as we open up your sacred text and so that we can understand uh, you at a better and deeper level and also understand how we can live for you each and every day, each and every moment that we have. Give me the words this morning to say and how to say them. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength and my redeemer, and whom I trust. So in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Well, good morning again. Um, I've got a question for you all this morning. How many of you, when you were a child, played the telephone game? Just me. I'm the only one that was in the class that day to play the telephone game. The telephone game is um, line up a group of people, and I'm sure, I assume you can do this as adults as well, but the first person in line gets a message, you know, uh, to share, and they share it with the next person, and they take it, and you're whispering, right, this, or as much as kids can do when they whisper. Uh, you go down the line, and each person delivers the message to the person that's next to them. And what happens at the end of that game, for those of you who played it, is it's distorted. It's like the, the, the first person who got the message and they started delivering it, somehow, some way, by the time it gets to the end of the line, it's a totally different story. It, it may not even be in the same vein or maybe just completely and totally different from, from the from way it started. Like you can start with, you know, uh, hamburgers come from cows, then all of a sudden lamb is juicy by the end of the story. <laughs> like, how, what's happening here? And this is what happens to us when, when we start to relay stories and, and talk to one another. Our, our brains uh, sometimes fill in the gaps. Maybe we don't understand on the, the, the front end. We don't understand fully, and so our, our brains go to try to make sense. And then as we understand it and tell somebody else, it starts to morph. Or, or maybe we just want to add our own flair. We just add our own experiences and, and things like that. So now we live in a world in the past few years We've, we've heard the, the, the people talk about fake news 
And I think that's what we're dealing with is this telephone game that's, that's playing out right before us. We live in a world where we have access to so many different things. We've got, we got phones, we got tablets, we've got all these different things. So we're not hurting for uh, information. You know, uh, kids have it pretty easy these days, and even, you know, millennials, you know, I don't know how we survived without the internet and Wikipedia and all these other kind of things. I think, you know, when I would have trouble or with my homework or needed some more information, I would go to my parents and ask for help and they would take me to the library or maybe they gave me the information. They just had the knowledge or I, I, they probably made some stuff up too, just so that I can get it done and get it taken care of. I don't know, but now we have the luxury of being able to have the internet, all the information at our fingertips. Hey Siri, uh, how, how, how far is it from the earth to the sun? Right, and we have it instantly. That's amazing. But it's caused us to, even though they could call them smart devices, in reality it's, it's causing us to, to be dumb. But because we have this information at our fingertips, we just, we don't do the work anymore. I just mentioned encyclopedias and some of you looked at me strange. Uh, some of us in the room know <laughs> what that's like to go into a library and, and you know, we weren't fancy enough to have encyclopedias in our house. So some of you probably a little, little more blessed than what we were, but you go to the library and open up and that's where the knowledge was found. But now with it at our fingertips, we just don't try anymore. We don't even try to remember things anymore because it's so easy to bring it up. And in fact, we don't, we don't even read anymore. Um, I was reading a study the other day to say that the majority of people, if they go to college, don't read another book for the rest of their lives, or at most they might read a handful. I mean, I get the college is difficult, you gotta read a lot of books, but come on, you don't read anymore? And the same is true for um, high school graduates. People as adults, don't read books anymore. And now they just go out on the internet and because again, we have all this information at our fingertips, they go to the internet to read, but they don't even read the articles. They just read the headlines. I've been studying marketing for the past year, and so there's a way that you construct your headline to cause the appeal. You wanna give some things away, but the goal is for to entice them to read the article. But most people these days are just reading the article and like, well, that's all the information I need. Like, oh, the aliens landed the other day. Oh, okay, that's, that's crazy. I'm not gonna read the rest of the article to see where or if I should fear for my life. And then they go and state it as fact because they read an article. It's too easy for us nowadays to get things wrong, to get things misconstrued based on not only the telephone game, but just our laziness. We're not willing to go and do the work to verify what it is that we're reading. And now we have these spoof websites where they do satire and other things, man. This is dangerous to the human race. If people are seeing these satire sites, they're making fun of what's happening and people are reading it as a statement of truth and fact. You can't even look at the, I mean, even at the bottom of every article it says, this article, this site is for satire. <laughs> but we can't help ourselves. This has crept into the church. 
This is not just something that is happening outside and, and we're absolved from this. This is happening in the church where people are not spending the time. We are lazy. It can't spend, it takes 15, if you spend 15 to 20 minutes a day, you can read the entire Bible in a year. 15 to 20 minutes a day. You know that um, the average person spends three hours on TikTok. For those of you who don't know what TikTok is, it's a, it's a social media site that you can go to that the majority of videos on this site are 60 seconds. The majority of the videos on TikTok are 60 seconds and people are spending, on average, three hours a day. You mean to tell me that we can't spend 15 minutes reading God's word to understand who he is? Because what's happening is, is for us, we're letting the world creep in. We're letting other people tell us who God is and what he said. And we got the truth right here. We're reading the, the article headlines about who God is instead of going to the author and the finisher of our faith. I hope we would change course on that. That's what we're here to do here at First Baptist Bolingbrook. We want to get into the word. I, I want to equip you to be able to understand who God is and understand his character and understand how you can live that out in your life. How can you authentically live out your faith? What does that look like? Except that I mentioned last week, we're only here for an hour a week, so you got to be able to fend for yourself the rest of the time. <laughs> so hopefully you will be encouraged. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2 today. We're going through the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And I think there's a lot that we can see as, as Christ is speaking to his church and these specific churches. I think there's a lot that we can glean as we look at our own lives, we look at our own church and see how um, we can understand who God is, understand who Jesus is, understand how we live for them. Revelation chapter two, chapter two we're going to start in verse 12. This is to the letter, the letter to Pergamum. Here in verse 12, here God's word reads, write to the angel of the church in Pergamum. Thus says the one who has the sharp, double-edged sword, I know where you live, where Satan's throne is. Yet you're holding on to my name and did not deny your faith in me. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death among you where Satan lives. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites to eat meat sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you have uh, those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So repent. Otherwise, I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. So here we have the church of Pergamum. 
And um, if you remember back, we talked about Smyrna before. Um, things are a little worse here than they were at Smyrna. Uh, these members are facing very similar spiritual warfare from Satan as the other churches. And if you even uh, the first letter was to Ephesus. The church at Ephesus were dealing with false teaching. Then Smyrna was dealing with persecution. Here we have Pergamum. They're dealing with all that. The false teaching um, and, and, and just the, the persecution that is going on. There is just coming down on their heads and they're trying to figure out how to navigate through these things. And even though they fought against the persecution, it sounds like they were doing a good job in that area. But at the same time, they allowed deception to creep in. They weren't as fervent uh, against the false teachers and the false teachers started to come into church and started teaching something that was not of God. If you look at verse 12, our king makes himself known. He says, I write to the angel of the church at Pergamum that says, the one who has the sharp double-edged sword. This is Christ describing himself um, with a sharp, sharp two-edged sword proceeding from his mouth, telling the church um, that they need to, to fight against these, these false teachers. And if they don't, it's going to cause him to intervene. And they don't want that. We don't want that. And people like to say, well, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. Let me tell you something. You don't want that. You don't want to, to, to have God judge you because he's going to judge you righteously. He's going to give you what you actually deserve. You, you, you want me to judge you. <laughs> I might, I might you know, go easy and lenient, but what you rightly deserve, what we all rightly deserve is death. Only God can judge me. Okay, well, get ready. I hope you got your orders and affairs taken care of because what you deserve is death unless you would choose to follow him. Jesus is saying, look, hey, you guys straighten this up or I'm going to intervene and I'm going to take care of it and you're not going to like the way I take care of it. So it comes in, this uh, city in Pergamum, it's the capital city of the Roman province of Asia Minor and um, had, had been the capital for over uh, 250 years. And, and what Pergamum is, is it's a religious center and um, for a lot of the pagan uh, things that were going on, all the cults that were taking place at the time. So we had uh, cults of Athena, um, Asclepius, and, uh, who was the god of healing. We have Dionysus, who was the god of drunkenness. There was a god of drunkenness. <laughs> Can you believe this? And then there's it was Zeus and others. All these are uh, taking place in this city. We're allowing people to come in and be able to worship these false gods. This was the uh, also the first city in Asia to build a temple to Caesar, the, the king there, uh, where the, the cult of Caesar would worship. So they would come and actually worship this man, the Caesar, as the king. Asclepius, who I mentioned a moment ago, is the god of healing. And it's interesting because um, if you look at any, any old statues of, of this, this, this so-called god, um, you would recognize it because of the snake symbols. And if you look at the, the symbol that we have for medicine and health today, it's very similar. You have the snakes that are wrapped around the staff. And so this is where that comes from. 
um, the, uh, the, this housed a famous medical school here in Pergamum uh, at the time, and they were they, what they would do was mix medicine with superstition. And so they would give you a prescription, and they tell you to do a lot of other things. In John MacArthur's commentary, he mentions uh, that a prescription uh, would call for some uh, worshipers, depending on what's, whatever's going on, they might give you something to take, but it would also cause a worshiper to sleep on the temple floor and allow snakes to crawl all over their body to infuse and absorb the healing power from the snakes. Who's going to that doctor? <laughs> wow. So they would integrate these different things. Okay, you take two of these and, and lay over here for the snakes so you can get the healing power from the snakes and call me in the morning type of deal. Man. But here, Christ mentions Antipas. Um, Antipas was like, likely a pastor of the church. And um, uh, in the, the tradition uh, that, that we hear in history, Antipas was uh, burned to death inside a brass bull because he refused to compromise. Um, here in the text in, in verse 13, it says, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death among you where Satan lives. And so he refused to go along with, with all these other so-called gods, these, these false gods that they had constructed. He was not even going to kneel before Caesar in worship. The Lord calls him the faithful one because of his martyrdom. And it is crazy to think about uh, what this comes to. And, and, and often we, we wonder and think, is that where we're headed? Is that where we're headed even here in the, in the U.S.? this dystopian future where this, this might actually be reality for some of us, where the things will be put into place where we'll have to deny the God of the universe and worship something that is man-made, something that is fictitious, something that is false, and we'll have to make a decision. We're gonna follow the, the human government or we're gonna follow the God of the universe. Pergamum hosted temples dedicated to the divine uh, Augustus, uh, the god of goddess of Roma, and in addition to Asclepius, the god of healing, and Zeus. And um, even though with, with this, this uh, temple of Caesar, it, it was at least strongly encouraged that you go and, and, and pay your respects. You go and worship, if not outrightly required in this day, that you would go and serve this, this king in that way by worshiping him. Verse 14, he says, but I have a few things against you. You have uh, some that there that hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites to eat meat sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, so repent. Otherwise, I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword in my mouth. See, the folks at Pergamum, they, had, they find themselves in a similar position as the Israelites back in Numbers 22 through 24. And this is where Balak was king of Moab, and he hired a pagan prophet named Balaam to curse the Israelites. Unfortunately, in that account, 
God intervene and Balaam, instead of actually cursing them, uh, it was actually turned into a blessing. He didn't curse the nation and he, they actually avoided being uh, there and the, God ended up blessing that very nation. However, even though that happened, the damage was already done. There was already influence there and the Israelites allowed the teaching of Balaam to influence them even there at the time. Even though God intervened, they saw the, the miraculous things happen. They still, it still crept in to their psyche. They still felt like they needed to, what, what, kind of what they said was true. Maybe, maybe it'd be cool to follow after them too. Maybe we could do both. We can have it our way. We can follow on both sides. We could be in the middle. Fortunately, that's not what they were called to do. Uh, they, they, they call themselves wanting to be good neighbors, and they ended up eating meat sacrificed to idols. They ended up committing fornication and participating in other pagan rituals. Like, well, if they're doing it, we don't want to offend them. And so we, let's just eat some of their meat. It's tasty. They season it really well, and it's good. Man, oh, it, it won't hurt if we do some of these things. I mean, we still believe in, in God who, who did every, all these things for us. But, you know, uh, we, we could just do this a little bit on the side. It'll, it'll be okay, right? It'll be fine, right? Same thing is happening in Pergamum. You know, they figure there's nothing wrong with them being friendly to Rome. And before you know it, they start to compromise, they start to say, well, we were feeling pressures from the government. And in order to stay in good standing, maybe we should just give it a little bit. I mean, we can still hold on to our beliefs and, and do a little bit. I mean, I'm not going to be for real, for real. I'm just going to do some of these things and still follow God. They falsely told themselves that it wouldn't hurt if they participated in the worship of Caesar. And the believers are influenced by these false prophets. False prophets, these come into the church and they encourage all this sexual immorality. They encourage this idolatry. And it's like boiling a frog. You, 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 the frog gets into the pot, there's room temperature, and it doesn't notice that it's getting hot. And, and when he notices, it's too late. He's fried, he's boiled, it's too late. They thought they could still be Christians and engage in the practice of the dominant society. Man, this is, are they, they writing about this church? Are they writing about the churches today? Because, I mean, I can't tell the difference. That we, we also think that we can go and, and live according to the world and society and still call ourselves Christians that we can go and have these beliefs that have crept into the church and still say that we are Christ followers, but we don't look nothing like Christ. Man, I don't, I don't know that we've learned anything along the way. As I mentioned a moment ago, Antipas, he set the example. He wasn't having it. He's like, what you, what you guys are trying to do, where you're trying to lead me, it doesn't matter because I have something greater I know somebody greater, somebody and something that matters more than having this comfort here on earth. He refused to compromise, but everybody else took the easy way out. They took the easy way and compromised with Rome. 
Jesus instead, he calls them to stop and turn away from these teachings. He tells them to stop looking and following these practices because if they don't, he will oppose them with the sharp sword from his tongue. He will be just and he will be severe. We read in Hebrews chapter 4 and 19, it says, For the word of God is like a living and effective, is, is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is living and effective, sharper than any double-edged sword. And we can't spend 15 to 20 minutes wielding this sword, learning how to wield the sword. And when we're talking about the right to carry, I mean, <laughs> we got our weapon right here. Man, but we don't spend that time. But what does this have to do with us today? As we look at the Church of Pergamum, I, like I mentioned, all the corollaries that we already have and now we see, all these things that we're dealing with, all the temptation that we're faced with, all the, the pressure that we're feeling from, from our own government, from those people who, who live in this cancel culture, you say the wrong thing and all of a we, we cancel you. We don't want to hear anything from you anymore. We have these thoughts and beliefs that are, are creeping into the church as well. And it's been happening for a long time. And again, like a frog, we need to be aware of what's happening and how we combat it so that we can be steadfast against it. Some of the things that have been creeping into the church I'm going to highlight here today just so that you would be aware because it, this stuff sounds good and, and some of it sounds kind of churchy and I'm like, well, yeah, I can see that. I mean, I, even though I, I don't read this in the scripture, it sounds like it would be all right, but it's not. And in order for you to know, you've got to be in a text. You've got to know who God is. You've got to know what he says so that we can know the difference between the, the, the truth and a lie. The real deal versus the counterfeit. You don't go and study counterfeits. You study the truth so that you can understand what's counterfeit. Here's one of the things that have, have crept into the church, and it's the law of attraction. Many of you, if you haven't heard that name, I'm sure you've heard of, of what this looks like. This is a belief that if we just think positively and, and have faith, we will get whatever we want from God. If you just think about it hard enough and you visualize, then God will give you your heart's desire. The law of attraction, it promotes this idea of, of like uh, attracts alike. And the, the people that teach this would have you believe just if you imagine, if you visualize anything that you want from God, he will make it true. Man, that sounds cool, man. I, if I just think and visualize you, you have these people putting together these vision boards these vision boards, they, they, they pull them out and they will cut things out of, of, of magazines and newspaper. They got houses, they got, they got boats, they got all these things to put it on a vision board. If I just have it on this vision board and think about it hard enough, then God is going to give it to me. I don't know where they got that from. I mean, 
Maybe that's the second opinions chapter. This, as Christ followers, it's important for us to remember that our full reward is in heaven. That's what we're looking for. That's what we strive after. That's what we look forward to, is our time with him in heaven for forever and eternity. We may or may not have, have stuff today, but ultimately it doesn't matter because that's our goal. Heaven is our goal. God is our goal. You think about the first martyr, Stephen, it, it, as if it, he was being martyred. It, you think if he just imagined and visualized a different outcome that it would have been better for him? You think if he just tried harder, if you think he, if he had a vision board of, of his popularity that would come, you think that it would have turned out better for him? Here's what Stephen said in Acts chapter 7 and 54. He is sharing the gospel with these people that are about to murder him. And it says in chapter, in verse 54, it says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. They weren't having, they don't want to hear this stuff. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He knew what was about to happen. He looks up and he sees the heavens open up. And he says this, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He couldn't wait. He couldn't wait. He's like, that is what I'm after. This is my goal. I don't care what you guys are, are about to do, but you're going to make everything for me. My, my goal is to spend forever and eternity with God. Let's go. Give me those stones. He wasn't trying to make more of himself. And because of what he did, we're talking about him today. If he followed his vision board, he, he would have missed the mark. We wouldn't even know about him. He'd be obscurity. This is not to say that God doesn't want to give his children good gifts, but we need to be remind, reminded that our desires need to align with his. And that we need to ask that his will be done and not our own. And I'm not saying you, you're not going to have nice things. You won't have success according to the world standards or, or whatever it is. I'm not saying any of that. You may or may not. But what matters is, is who gets the glory. What matters is why you do the things you do. Is it, is it for, for your benefit? Is it for your will or his will? He's given people uh, uh, some uh, amount of success and money to be able to do good things and to, to help with the, the kingdom, to be able to, to make sure people are equipped and to have places to, to, to learn about God and to, to serve the, 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 the uh, oppressed, uh, to serve the poor. Those are all great things. We just got to remember, remind ourselves where he comes from for us. Another belief that's crept into the church is uh, follow your heart. Oh, just you have this big decision to make. What does your heart say? 
What, what, what is your heart? Where are you being moved to? What gives you the most satisfaction? This belief that we should follow our feelings and emotions for uh, a guide to the truth. It tells us that we should just do what, what feels right. But God's word says something different. Proverbs 28 and 26 says, whoever trusts his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Or maybe Jeremiah 17 and 9 says, the heart is deceitful among all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, I don't know, but I can't understand emotions. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. And, and, and I'm just so grateful for Libby. She's helped me to understand emotions. Sometimes I'll just, you know, have a mean mug on, our, on my face and be walking around. She's like, what's wrong with you? I don't know. I just feel like punching the wall. Are you angry? I don't know. I just feel like punching the wall. <laughs> Tell me, understand uh, what's going on in my own body and be able to give a, a name to it. But these feelings are fickle. They change from one moment to another. And one day I like this, and the next day I don't like it no more. The next day I love being around certain type of people, and the next day I'm like, I just really want to be by myself. So how can we uh, look to make decisions to have our guide based on our feelings? It's not a good compass. If, if you were lost in the woods, and your compass tells you this way is north, and then all of a sudden it tells you it's south, you're in a world of trouble. I don't think you're going to get to where you need to go. But this is how we react when we talk about following our feelings. As Christians, we've got to live according to the Spirit and set our minds on the things of the Spirit instead of what's in the flesh. The enemy is sneaky. The enemy is sneaky is going to come in and tells you to trust your feelings so that you can lean more into sin and find yourself in dangerous places just because you want to do what felt good. There's many more that I can mention, but I'll just uh, leave you this with this one last one. Um, this is the false things that have crept into the church. One is that all roads lead to heaven. I'm sure you guys have all heard this. Recently, I read on Twitter, um, somebody was saying that they consider themselves a Christian, but they believe that sharing the gospel was violence. Exactly. What? They believe that other faiths and religions are equally true. They call themselves Christians, but they didn't go to church. They call themselves Christians, because, but they didn't believe that the Bible was God's word. Then they went on and talking about a lot of other, other things. But my question for them is, why do you call yourself a Christian? You don't believe anything that it means to be a Christian. What's the point? Like, what, are you trying to, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to prove? Jesus commanded that we make disciples. That's what we're supposed to do. He said that a marriage is between one man and, and one woman. And more importantly, he said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. That's, that's what's in the text. You wouldn't know that unless you read it. 
Some people will say, well, Pastor, that's too narrow. Like, how do you believe that you have a corner on the truth? We need to be welcoming to everybody. Doesn't God love everybody? And just, we need to allow them to come in. And if they choose uh, Christ or Allah or a Buddha, whoever it is, that's got to be okay. That's what a loving God would do, right? Matthew 7 and 13 says, enter by the narrow gate. Yes, it is narrow. Why? He says, for, for the gate is wide and that way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. You want to keep up with the Joneses and, and go the wide way? If you're following what everybody else is doing, you, you might want to have some questions about that. The way is narrow. There, there can only be one truth. People like to talk about, well, that's your truth and this is my truth. There is only the truth. It's that simple. I can't call the carpet blue and red at the same time. Somebody's wrong. Well, I believe that it's red. Okay, you can believe that it's red all you want. But that's not the way to life. Verse 17. It says, let anyone who has ears, let them hear. Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. Just like God uh, fed the Israelites in the wilderness, Christ supplies this hidden manna to the one who conquers and endures persecution and stays pure from defilement. Instead of eating food sacrificed to idols, the believers in Pergamos, uh, they needed to feast on God's holy word. They need to, to, to go after the bread of life that is found in Jesus through his word. And this is what we need to do as well. We need to be feasting on God's word. Nothing else matters. Like I said, this is, this is the only weapon that we need. John 6 and 32 says, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the, the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then he said, sir, give us this bread always. Watch this, he says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Oh my goodness. But as I told you, you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those who has given to me, but should raise them on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Take this with you today. This is what we need to know. This is what's important in our lives for us to follow after Christ.
knowing that uh, if we submit our lives to him, that he, he is faithful to keep us, that he will not cast us out. Nobody can snatch us out of his hand if we would live for him. This white stone that it talks about is historically given to athletes that won the games, and it was used as a ticket so they can go and enter the celebration party later. Christ says he's going to give this white stone to the ones who, who he loves and give them a personal message and it'll be so personal that they're the only ones that will be able to know what it says. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you have not submitted your life, you struggle or stuck about what that means, how do you live this out practically in your life, I hope you heard what God had to say to you today. I'm, I'll be up here to, to pray with you and to, to have a conversation and let's walk together on what this looks like for you in your life so that you might be able to follow him. Or maybe we're here today and we have the realization that we have uh, uh, been overcome, that we have, we've let some of these things creep into the church, that some of these things that we believed ourselves and, and you realize, like, I got to get things right. There's, there's time, there's, there's opportunity here today. And I encourage you, I urge you to get to know the Father, spending time with him in, in his word, spending time with him in prayer, spending time with his people. Because sometimes when we, we start to go astray, we start letting this stuff, some of this stuff seep in, you know, God has placed us in a community with other believers, and they might be able to notice that in you. Like, hey, you've been, you've been talking about some of this, this law of attraction stuff. Do you, you realize what's happening here? And they can be there as our, our safety net to help us bring us back to the track, and that's in God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just revealing yourself in the way that you have so that we can identif identify what is, is true, what is real. But, but Father, we need uh, you to fill us with courage to, to do what it is that you said us to do, to, to live the life that you've called us to live, because it is really easy to you let these things seep in. We're bombarded with all these messages uh, uh, so much throughout the day that uh, we need your help to combat it with the sword of truth. Your, your word, uh, sharper than any two-edged sword, that we would go and rely on that instead of what we're hearing in the world. So Father, thank you for loving us in, in such a way that you would give us this encouragement and strength Help us to also be able to be there to encourage and strengthen others. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.